Today, get this, this is going to be a little bit like you're watching a TV show and then all of a sudden it comes on and says, we interrupt this programming to bring you a message from, all right? So this is a little bit like this. If you, if you know, we've been in a study in the names of God and we're so appreciative for how much kind of depth and richness learning the names of God is adding to our faith. But I need to, I need to kind of pivot today, put a pause so that I can talk to you about something else. Um, late in the week, late in the week, I just kind of had this disturbance in the force. Like God was just kind of breaking in saying, I, I, I'm glad that you've prepared to preach and teach on the names of God, but there's something else I need you to shepherd my people this week. And so uh, many of you are aware that there are things happening in the Middle East, and specifically in Israel. And so I've, I've received so many questions. In fact, I think I've gotten more questions over the last week than I may have gotten the entire time of COVID, where people are asking things like, you know, what does this mean? How should we think about what's happening? Should the church be taking sides? Is this war in the Bible? Is what we're seeing unfold part of the end times? So as I was listening to all these questions come in, I thought, you know, it might be important for me to, under the Holy Spirit's direction, just kind of talk about some of these questions and give you a, like a biblical understanding of some of these things. Now, I want to admit to you there's a little bit of hesitation on my part in trying to answer these questions because we have been conditioned kind of to look for tweet-size answers to complicated problems. We want a really short, like, just give me like a yes or no. Well, that's, it's tough. Some of these questions are hard to answer that way. Plus, uh, answering this question kind of starts to move us in a direction of the terrain of the prophetic. And let me just say, a lot of times the people who are in the space talking about the prophetic can be a little nutty. Be extreme. They can take a, you know every story in the press and just sensationalize it. And you, you almost feel like there's just a constant sounding of alarms from people that are kind of operating and studying in that prophetic space. And I think it's kind of a shame that sometimes we take this material that's in God's Word and we become so divisive with it. And we, we argue over minutiae. And there's a part of me that just sees this negative energy that's coming from people that are kind of in that prophetic lane where I just kind of want to say, calm down a little bit, right? Have you read the rest of the story? Like in the end, we win. You know that, right? God wins. We win. So there's a part of me that's like, man, try decaf, right? Try decaf. Just calm down a little bit. It's going to be okay. So there's a little bit of hesitation of moving into this area, but I really believe it's necessary. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to group together the questions that I've received in kind of three categories, and we're going to move through those this morning. So the first category of question is like, what's going on? What's the deal? How, how are we supposed to think about this? Why, why is there so much animosity that's happening in that region? Like, why can't they all get along? One set of questions. Second set is, is this particular conflict 
significant in terms of Bible prophecy about the end times. And then third, how should all of this, Israel, prophecy, end times, how should all of this impact me now? Okay? So those are three things we're going to talk about. What, what, what's going on? Why all this animosity? Is this, is this biblical in terms of prophecy? And how, how should we respond to all of this? Now, let me say up front, I am not a prophecy expert, okay? But I didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night either, okay? If you follow that little reference, there's those series of commercials that were saying, like, if you're smart enough to sleep at a Holiday Inn Express, it's going to rub off in other ways, okay? So I, I didn't sleep at the Holiday Inn Express. Neither, let me say to you, neither did I get my theology last night with a three-and-a-half-hour TikTok session, okay? All right? So I, I know how that goes. We go down those rabbit holes, and, and that's where we kind of get our beliefs and our thoughts on things. So can you give me, even though I'm saying to you I'm not a prophecy expert, can you give me a little credit? I've been, I've been around doing this for a little while, and so there's some perspective that I think that I have to offer that I believe can be helpful. Now, even though we're kind of pausing and pivoting away from the names of God's study for today, let me say to you that everything that we have gone through so far will be a tremendous help to you. Because he is Elohim. Like he is the creator, all-powerful God who is in charge of heaven and earth. Like that's who he is. He's El Shaddai. He's the all-sufficient one. Regardless of the crazy things that happens in the world, he is always the one who is sufficient. And he's the most high God. Like he sees everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. In fact, he is El Roi. He's the God that sees you. In all the maneuvering of global events, God still sees you. So all of that foundational truth is important. And I want to say to you that the reason that God would even speak to some of these things prophetically in advance is to help us be prepared for what's coming. I want to say to you, God does not want you to be unprepared for what's coming. In fact, everything that he reveals to us that fits in that prophetic perspective is to build confidence in you. God saw it ahead of time. He told us about it. It's coming to pass, and so it should build confidence. He really is sovereign. Like, he really is in control. He's still on the throne. In fact, this Bible verse, that those who call on the name of the Lord, look at this, they will be saved. The word saved is the word for delivered. So don't you worry, man. When things start to happen, don't worry. Your confidence is in the Lord. He will deliver you. He'll get you through. Because remember, he is the God who started a work in you. And the Bible says he will finish it even until the day when Jesus returns. So your confidence and hope is in Jesus. No matter what's happening, we will not choose fear. We will not choose anxiety and worry. For God is our help. He is our refuge he is our hope. Amen? So, first question. What's going on? Like, why is there so much animosity in this region? Why can't these people seem to get along? Now, let me say, at the beginning of this question, I think it's super important that we slow down right here 
and address the fact that there are people who might not have a biblical perspective about things that are happening. In fact, I want to talk to younger generations for just a second. Because younger generations have maybe not been taught how to see things through this biblical prophetic lens. And so sometimes when younger people are seeing things happen like this, it, there, there can be a, a sense of this looks more political than biblical. But what looks to be happening is more political than biblical. And for some who have that ideological view, listen, standing with Israel... It might end up looking like the political equivalent of voting for Trump. And therefore, younger generations trying to process this might feel like that it's better for them to take up the offense of the underdog in the story. Because they don't, they don't know some of the things we're about to talk about. And so you can see on college campuses, you can see around the world demonstrations that are breaking out with people taking up the cause of the Palestinians in a way that aligns them with the horrific attack of Hamas on Israel. And so that reflects that there may be ideological thinking, but not theological thinking. And today what I want you to do is see what God has to say about these things and square up your thinking so that it's biblical before it's ideology or politics. Okay? Now, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12 and talk again about Abraham's story. In, in the names of God's study, we, we have reflected on Abraham's story because this is where a lot of the names of the Lord get introduced. And so we refer to Genesis chapter 12 before, but we're actually going to read through what God promises to a man by the name of Abraham or Abram. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, the Lord had said to Abram, look at this, leave your native country. Everybody say leave. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land. Everybody say, the land. Go to the land that I show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now notice... God makes a promise, I'm going I'm to make you a family man, and your family's going to grow into a great nation, but you're going to have to leave your native country, your place of birth, and you're going to have to go to this other place that I will show you. Now, when God speaks to Abraham, we're going to put a map up, when God speaks to Abraham, he's living in Ur, which is the southern tip of modern-day Iraq. So that's his native country. That's where he's from. It's where he was born. But God leads him to the place, the land that he would show him, which was here in Israel. So he relocates his family to where we call modern-day Israel. Now, when they get there, there's other people living there. And so for four generations, Abraham just lives alongside these other people in kind of a transient, kind of nomadic kind of life. But then famine breaks out. And they relocate their family to Egypt where there's supplies. 
And then they're enslaved in Egypt. Moses is raised up as a deliverer, and then God brings them back out of Egypt to go to the place of promise, and it's referred to as the promised land. God provided them this particular land, this particular place, because it was part of fulfilling his pledge and promise to Abraham. In fact, the Lord would take the people of Israel back to this specific land, and there from that place, the Messiah, Jesus, from the from the tribe of Judah would be born and he would offer himself as a sacrifice for sins and God would raise him from the dead in Jerusalem and Jesus would extend forgiveness and life to people who believe all around the world. But this promise was seated in this place and people of Israel in that land. Like God said, I will bless you from this place. I'm going to bless the world from this place. It was God's choice. It was God's decision. In Deuteronomy 9, as Moses was giving them instruction before they entered into the promised land, he cautioned them not to think that the Lord has given this land because you're such a good people. No. It is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you're so good or you have such integrity that you're about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you're good, for you are not You are a stubborn people. So this is God's call. Like, I'm going to give you this place, but I'm not giving it to you because you're special. I'm giving it to you because I've given time for the nations that live there to repent, but they're wicked, and I'm driving them out, and I'm now going to fulfill my promise to Abraham by planting you there. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns every piece of property on this planet. And by his own purpose, he said, this is the place where you're going to be. This is the place where I'm going to put you. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses gives the people of Israel a a contract and says, here's, here's the way you get to stay in the land. If you continue to serve the Lord and you you follow the, the commitment, the covenant that you make with the Lord, you get to stay here. But if you don't follow the Lord and you break the covenant, God can evict you. You're not guaranteed to stay here. This is still this is the Lord's dealing. He's letting you stay here if you stay with the Lord and you follow the covenant. But if you don't follow the covenant, he has the right to evict you. Now, what we know from history is that Israel twice abandoned their covenant with the Lord and the Lord expelled them out. The last time he expelled them out was 70 AD when the Romans came in and they conquered And they forced the Jewish people to have to leave their homeland and live out among the other nations. 
So listen to me. For 1,900 years, for 1,900 years, the Jewish people did not have a homeland. They lived out among other nations. And what I'm about to say to you is so unique. It has never happened ever, 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 ever in the history of the world with any other people except for one at one time, where for 2,000 years, a people was without their property, and then God brought them back. In 1948, the Jewish people were brought back to their homeland. And then God restored them into this place. Just, listen, just as he promised. Isaiah chapter 11. This is written 2,600 years before 1948. 2,600 years before he brought them back. Look what the Lord said. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. That term, in that, notice that, in that Day. That is a term that means literally the last days. In the last days, God will bring Israel back to their land. For some of us, we don't know a time when there wasn't a boundary nation called Israel in the Middle East. But for close to 2,000 years, they did not exist in that place. And the Bible says, in the last days, I'll bring my people back. There's other comments about the end times that give us an indication of when we live. Jesus said, in the last days, there will be numerous false teachers, wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, and a falling away, people deconstructing their faith. Paul said, in the last days, there will be people who are lovers of themselves, mockers of God, people hating what is good, cruel, cruel slander and betrayal with people canceling others. Daniel said in the last days, information will increase and people will travel like they've never done in history. Revelation throws in pandemics and governments overreaching freedoms in the last days. If you're keeping a scorecard of all of these predictions and you're looking at the ways things look as we live now, you would start going check, 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 check. But the super sign, the sign that the Bible indicates is like the key sign that we've moved into a period of time known as the last days is when Israel comes back to its land. 75 years ago, that happened. 80 years ago, if you're reading theological literature, you would see preachers and theologians saying things like, we just don't see any way that Israel can ever be brought back to its land. It doesn't seem like there's any way that could happen, but God made a way. And he's fulfilling what he promises in Ezekiel 36 and 37. Ancient cities are being re rebuilt. The population of Israel, as it's promised, is multiplying. 
The land is producing heavy crops and yields again. Like Israel is back in its land according to God's promise and God's gift. And we're seeing it happen in our lifetime. And it's the super sign that we are in the last days. But listen, that may make us go, yay! But there are other people who don't share that enthusiasm. Because in the period of time that the land was vacated, God kicked them out. There were some other people who started to live in that land. And so in 1948, when Israel was placed back in their homeland, there were some who were displaced. There were some who were discomforted by Israel's arrival. And now they are angry that they're there. And there are others like their Arab kin, Persian neighbors, who have taken up their offense. So there's a, there's a land component. Why can't these people get along? There's a land component where God gave them a parcel of property, and that's God's business. But there are some people who are not happy about that. But there's a second factor of why these folks can't get along, which should not be underestimated. Bible tells us that the devil is at work exploiting and inciting anti-Semitic animosity. The book of Revelation pictures it this way. The dragon persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. The dragon is the devil. The woman is the nation of Israel. The man-child is is Jesus. Theologians speaking about this passage say the devil relentlessly persecutes Israel. He hates Israel because Israel was instrumental in bringing Jesus, the Messiah, into the world. It was prophesied, Genesis chapter 3, that Jesus would come and he would strike the head of the serpent. Jesus indeed, on the cross and in the resurrection, struck a mortal blow to the devil. And he hates Jesus and he hates Jews for it. So the question, why can't they get along? There's a land part of it. It's hard for us to understand, but God gave them a piece of property. If we don't like the fact that God gave them that property, if your heart's just kind of all twisted over that, then file your complaint with him. He gave it to them. And then realize that there's a dark spiritual force that's at work to stir up all of this anger. And if you're the kind of person that needs the Middle East, you need Israel to be at peace for you to be at peace, then you're not going to be at peace until the Prince of Peace returns. Because there's just going to be constant conflict over the land that God gave them and conflict that's stirred up by the devil. That's why sometimes when you watch this stuff on TV and they're just saying things that don't make sense, and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, that's just, that doesn't make sense. Well, of course it doesn't. That's the devil. 
just stirring up all that anger and animosity. Here's the second question that we've got. Not just why can't they all get along, but is this conflict significant in terms of the Bible's prophecies about the end time? So the prophet Ezekiel was instructed by God to be a watchman. A watchman was a person who had a responsibility to stand on the wall of the city and put their eyes on the horizon and watch for threats. And when you saw something threatening, if you were a watchman, you sounded the alarm to give people time to prepare because there's an army or there's a threat of some kind coming. And so the Bible tells us that God put Ezekiel on the wall to be a watchman. Ezekiel 33, verse 7, Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. In a way that's kind of mysterious, Ezekiel is made a watchman and he's given eyes that can see through time. And as he looks down the corridor of time, 2,600 years ago, he sees an event take place and he sounds the alarm. Be prepared. He sounds the alarm. Ezekiel chapter 38. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, Prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Verse 5, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them. There's a coalition army. It's Magog and Persia and Cush and Put. Gomer, all his hordes, Beth Togomar from the southernmost uttermost parts of the north will have their hordes and many peoples are with them. Verse 16, this is kind of the conclusion of this conflict, this coalition conflict against Israel. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, look at that. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. We've already said the super sign of the end times is what? Israel back in her land. But now we have another sign that we are told to watch for, and that is this Ezekiel 38 war. Before Jesus returns, this Ezekiel 38 war. War. So let's break down, just very briefly, let's just break down some of the players that are in this predicted war that happens before Jesus comes back. There's a person called Gog. Gog. That's not a personal name, it's a title, kind of like Pharaoh. It's a reference to a, a prince, somebody with military command, political leadership that forms a coalition that moves against Israel. Well, notice the locations affiliated with Gog. There's the land of Magog, and then this Meshech and Tubal. Now, Ezekiel's referring to places by name as they existed in his day. Today, these areas are known differently. And so the area of Magog, 
which we're later told is directly to the north, and Meshach and Tubal are all locations within Russia. In fact, if we go to the footnote of the passage we read, where it says, Chief Prince of Meshach, footnote, Chief Prince of Meshach, footnote, you go to the bottom of the page and you read that one alternate translation is Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach. What does Rosh sound like? Russia. Most people say that's the root word for Russia. So we have the appearance of this coalition builder against Israel who's a military leader, who's a political leader from an area that is modern-day Russia. Then we have these other coalition partners, Persia. That's the easiest one for us to identify because until 1935, Iran was called Persia. We know today that Russia and Persia have formed an incredibly strong alliance. Here's a headline that's referring to uh, the current crisis. Putin's muted response to Hamas speaks volumes about Russia's deepening ties with Iran. It is its kind of primary political military alliance in the area of the Middle East. And then you've got a place called Kush. Kush. If we look at a map, Kush means area that's south of Egypt. Sometimes translations will call that Ethiopia. But the land directly south of Egypt, Kush in the Bible, is Sudan. Sudan also has a partnership with Iran. This was in the paper um, October 9th. Sudan and Iran resumed diplomatic relations severed seven years ago, promising to open embassies in each other's nations soon. When the leader of Iran wanted to uh, do his infamous annihilate the Jews speech, where did he go to deliver that speech? Khartoum, Sudan, the capital of Sudan. In fact, there are some people who watch footage of Hamas soldiers taking hostages and have identified Sudanese fighters. Aligned. Kush. Sudan. Put. That's the region of North Africa that we normally would say Libya and Algiers. Both of them have formal alliances formed with Russia. And then we have the mention of Gomer. Gomer, that's modern-day Turkey. This week, an official from Turkey tweeting about Israel's counteroffensive and counterattack warned, if you counterattack Gaza, you will die. Then we have this area that's called Beth Togomar, and that's all the stands, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, all the stands that were formerly a part of the Soviet Union are now these nations that are mentioned 
in a coalition that marches against Israel. All right, let's back up from that. What are we saying? What are we saying? Well, first of all, God's giving us a prophetic picture in Ezekiel 38, and prophetic pictures don't have all the details we might prefer. But it's giving us a picture of things as they will play out in the end times. Secondly, Israel's current war with Hamas is not Ezekiel 38. It's not. But if Israel decides after dealing with Hamas, and they will, that they want to turn their attention to Iran because Iran has funded Hamas 93% of its resources. Iran provided training facilities for Hamas fighters. Iran provides all of Hamas weapons. Early indications are Iran green-lighted this attack from Hamas into Israel. If Israel decides we're now going to turn our attention and deal with the real problem, which is the common denominator in all the terrorist groups that are coming against us, which is Iran, if they decide we're going to go after Iran, that could be a trigger event, which all of a sudden brings about a coalition that comes against Israel. Third, now here's what I know without any doubt. And that is God uses Ezekiel as a watchman to get our attention, listen to this, and to draw our eyes so that we're looking in this direction and that we're prepared for what will happen one day. It's going to happen. In our lifetime, I don't know. But it's going to happen. And so our eyes have to be drawn in that direction. We should be watching what's developing in that area. Which brings us to this. How should all of this impact me right now? Like things that are happening in Israel, the prophecy, the end times. Like How should that impact me? Here's number one. Be at peace, bro. Be at peace. God is in control. God is in control. He is still on the throne. He's still Elohim, the all-powerful God. He's still El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's still El Elyon, the Most High God. He's seen all of this in advance. He's warning us, and he sees you. You be at peace. Be at peace. He's got you. If you trust in Jesus, he's your Savior. He will get you through. He's got you. Be at peace. Secondly, what does it mean to me right now? Stand by Israel and pray for them. Stand by Israel and pray for them. Pray for their protection. Pray for their comfort in such incredible grief. Pray for their soldiers as they exercise their right to protect their people and their borders. Pray for their leaders to have wisdom. Pray for all of that. But could I challenge you to pray for something else even more? That in this hour of uncertainty and difficulty and darkness and confusion and chaos, would you pray that God would open their eyes so that they can see that God has provided a Jewish Messiah in Jesus Christ and would open their heart to the gospel and they would be saved in this season of struggle and difficulty. 
Pray for their protection, yes, but pray for their salvation. Ezekiel chapter 39, at the end of all of this conflict that Ezekiel warns is coming, this is what God says. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none behind. I will never again turn my face from them for I will pour out my spirit. That's what you pray. Pray God will pour out his spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Stand with them. Pray for them. Here's a third thing. Very important. Remain true to our gospel calling and our mission to the world. We're going to stand with Israel. We're going to pray with Israel. But we're going to remain fixed to our gospel calling and mission to this world. We're not going to let wars and rumors of wars take us off our mission. And we will not allow acts of violence and hatred to cause us, listen, to hate the people that God loves. Jesus loves Egyptians. Jesus loves the Sudanese. He loves the Jordanians. He loves the Russians. He loves the Iranians. And Jesus wants to make his gospel known to all of the world. And we cannot allow ourselves in the midst of conflict and crisis to take our eye off that ball. We represent Christ's compassion in this earth. We are his ambassadors and we must continue to make the gospel proclamation our priority. He loves all people. And God is on the move. Since 1967, there have been more Jews come to Jesus than any other time except for the first century. Right now in the Middle East, there is movement and revival among Islamic people where Jesus is revealing himself to people and there are Muslims who are getting saved right in the Middle East. God is on the move. And it must be the priority of the church to maintain our compassion and our mission to get the gospel out. Don't let these events jaundice your perspective of God's love for people. He loves them all. And then finally, what does this mean to me? Be prepared. Because <laughs> Jesus is coming. Be prepared. I find that sometimes when you talk about these things with people who are believers, it can make them feel unsettled. Make them feel a little, almost kind of like leery of the return of Christ because there might be things in their heart and life that aren't right. And the thought of meeting Jesus right now where you are in your life, it just... So be prepared. Is there anything in your heart and life right now that you just need to get squared and right with Jesus? Be prepared. Maybe you've never given your heart to Christ and no better time than right now to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, save me. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I was so proud of my daughter a few years ago. She's always kind of been interested in kind of end times things. So she's a little more kind of aware of certain things that are promised. Like when Jesus returns, the trumpet will sound and Jesus will return. And so she kind of knows some of those things. 
So she called us from Dallas. She was living in Dallas at the time. She called us and said, Mom and Dad, I was in my apartment, and I promise you, I heard the loudest trumpet blast you've ever heard in your life. He was a We said, what did you do? She said, I ran out in the parking lot and looked up to see if Jesus was coming. And I thought, well, bless God, she ran toward him and didn't run from him in that moment. Are you ready to run towards Jesus? Because your heart's prepared. I'm telling you, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Stand with me. I want you to think right about this stuff. I want your mind, your heart, and your soul to be in the right place. Know where you stand. Know what the Bible says. Navigate these days with clarity. Make sure that your heart is prepared. Because Jesus is coming.